We are continuing our series entitled Healing Choices this morning and and over the past several weeks we've we've talked about the reality choice and the reality choice is that we have to realize that we're not God and that we're not in control. And we talked about the hope choice to understand that there is a God and that He loves us and, and that He actually can do something about our situation. We talked about the commitment choice that we have to step across the line and we have to give everything over to God and we talked about the house cleaning choice that we have to come clean before God and before ourselves. And, and then last time we talked about the transformation choice. And that is we have to, that was a really important one. We have to think differently if we want to see our lives transformed. We have to see our minds renewed. And so today we're going to talk about something that is, is uh, uh, we're going to talk about an issue that probably for Christians Outside of pride, is the, this is the biggest issue that trips up Christians, at least from my, my uh, observation in looking in, in counseling and talking with people today. Today we're going to be talking about the forgiveness choice. <laughs> Candy's on the front row and she just kind of made it, she kind of grimaced, you know. But that's the way we all feel when we have to deal with this. Everybody say forgiveness. forgiveness. Okay, very good. All right, let's pray together. Father, we're just asking you for miracles to take place in our lives, our lives today. And uh, we need the power of your Holy Spirit to move on our hearts in such a way that we move in grace and mercy and forgiveness. Uh, and Lord, that just does not come naturally to most of us. We need your spirit to help us. Some of us, Lord God, are we're, we're trapped in a dungeon of unforgiveness and the root of bitterness is growing unchecked in our hearts. And and Lord, if we're going to be free, it's going to be because of you. So Lord, I pray you would speak to us deep in our innermost being. I pray God that you would speak to us past the level of emotion, past the level of our intellect, and that God, you would heal our hearts today. I believe you for it. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I remember when I was a little boy, I don't, I'm not sure how old I was, but one of my uncles, it was actually my dad's brother, uh, came over to our house to visit, and and uh, he had just bought a motorcycle, and and as as a little young boy, I, I just thought that was the coolest thing. And we all went out, and he wanted to show it to us, and we uh, gathered around it to admire it. And then then my uncle spoke some fateful words to my dad because he said, "Do you want to ride it around the block?" And now my dad had never ridden a motorcycle before. Uh, but in his, uh, you know, exuberance, he said, sure. And he got on the motorcycle and then my uncle, you know, tried to explain to him everything that he needed to know. And, and my dad started it up and I'm just sitting there, you know, looking at my dad, who's my hero. And I'm like, oh man, this is so awesome. And then my, my dad started to ride off only, only he didn't know everything that he needed to know. And, and everything started out just fine for, for about 20 yards. And then something went wrong and he, my dad just started going and he just rode straight into a ditch. And, uh, and, and he was fine. He wasn't hurt other than maybe a bruised ego and the motorcycle wasn't damaged. But, uh, and that was the first time my dad ever rode a motorcycle. It was the last time my dad ever rode a motorcycle as well. Uh, but how many of you have ever crashed a relationship before? Anybody here ever crashed a relationship? Few of us in this place have done that. Uh, how many of us, you know, we, we had a habit or a, a hang up or a hurt and it caused a relationship to crash. It caused a relationship to be damaged in some way. And you know, that happens. And every now and then we need to do a little repair work in life. Isn't that right? You have to know how to come back and how to repair the relationship. So the idea that we want to talk about today is how do you repair relationships when they're broken? And we're, we're, we're making healing choices. That's what we're talking about. And one of those choices is to learn how to repair a relationship when it's been wounded. So take a look at Matthew chapter 5, verse number 7. Jesus is speaking. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, blessed. How many remember what, what blessed means? Means happy. That's right. If you don't remember anything else from this, you'll remember that, won't you? Uh, he, he says, happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Everybody say merciful. merciful. <laughs> you all said it like a, with a little bit of a southern twist there. I like that. Oh, mercy, you know. But uh, uh, if you're going to repair a relationship uh, after you've crashed that relationship, you're going to have to show mercy after, after something has happened. Let's look at another thought here. It says in verse 9, uh, 
He said, blessed or happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are the merciful and blessed are the peacemakers. So, so let's talk about those. Happy are the merciful. What is mercy? Mercy is when you don't get the punishment, the, the payback, the consequences that you deserve. That's mercy. How many of you have, uh, remember some time in your life when your parents had mercy on you? You're still alive, so I know they did. Uh, because everybody here probably did something in their lifetime that probably deserved the death penalty. You know, or, or at least it felt like that way to your parents anyway. But, but I, I know it's a shock to some of you, but, but I just had a knack uh, for getting myself in trouble, especially in church. Um, I, that was my playground. I was kind of quiet and shy at school, but church was where I was comfortable. That was my territory. And so I was a big cut up. I used to crack jokes. I always, I always feel like I should go back and find all my Sunday school teachers and apologize because I was always making the other kids laugh, that sort of thing. Had a good time doing that. But, but I remember this in church. Now, see, I could get away with that in Sunday school because my mom wasn't there. But when I started doing that stuff in church service, it, 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 things went, didn't, didn't go so well, but, but, but there was usually a progression of events as that took place. When I was, first of all, when I was doing something that I shouldn't be doing, uh, the first thing that would happen is that my mom would give me the evil eye. How many of you know what I'm talking about with the evil eye? You know what I'm talking about. You had a parent that, that knew how to give you the evil eye. It was a glare that, that would melt your face off, Right. That's what it would be like. And I, and I would usually see that and I'd straighten up for a, a little while, but then I'd, I'd soon forget that and start acting up again. And, and the next step, and every, every church-going child knows this, the next step is my mom would snap her fingers. Anybody, ever, everybody have fingers snapped at you? Anybody? You know, a few of us, you know, but uh, it, it, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how, but I could recognize my mom's finger snap. It was different than any other mom's finger snap. It, when it snapped, I knew, I mean, we could be in a crowded room and she was on one side of the room and I'm on the other side of the room. If she snapped her fingers, then stark terror would enter into my mind and my heart at that moment because I knew I better stop doing whatever I was doing. And so I would stop. But just a kind of a sound that sends a chill down your spine. And I have nightmares about that finger snap. And, and it, what that meant is I'd better pay attention because... There's only one more level of parental wrath that, that is to follow. And that, meant, that, that came when she would lean over to me and she would whisper in my ear, probably with a smile the whole time. So everybody thought she was probably leaning over and saying, oh, look at him. Look at her. She's telling her son how much she loves him. That's so sweet. But what she's leaning over to say is, when we get home, you're going to get it. That's what she would say. And I knew, you know, at that moment in time, how many of you ever had your mouth run up a bill that your bottom had to pay? You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? Well, I did that. You remember when you could spank your children without having government agencies called on you? Um, so my mom said, basically said, you're going to get a whipping when we get home. And as soon as she would hear, say that, I, I would hear that and I would begin to pray for mercy. I'd begin to pray for mercy all the way home. Oh, God, give me mercy. I need mercy. God, don't let my parents kill me. God, don't let me get what I deserve. God, I, I want mercy. I want mercy. I just prayed all the way home. And, and all the way home, my parents would never talk about it the whole way. And I'd be getting home. We'd be getting, getting close to home. And I'd be thinking, they forgot. They're old. They forgot. Thank the Lord for short memories. And, and just when my hopes were the highest, we'd get home and my mom and dad, would we'd be, we'd be about ready to get in bed. Everything had been normal the whole evening and and they'd look at me and say you thought I forgot didn't you I'm telling you that is cruel and unusual punishment I'm here to declare that is unconstitutional because that is that is cruel and unusual punishment and I you know I'd say God I want mercy but instead I got justice and and in that moment the, the board of education was applied to the seat of learning how many of you know what I'm talking about and he says happy are the merciful Happy are those who don't mete out everything that everybody else deserves. And if you want to repair relationships that, are, that have been broken, you're going to have to learn how to be merciful. Not give them what they deserve. Don't give them what they've earned. But he also says, happy are the peacemakers. Now, peacemakers are people who work for peace. 
They work for peace. Listen, if you don't work for peace in your relationships, you're not going to have peace in your relationships. I want you to notice this too. There is a difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. There's a difference between those two. Everybody say peacemaker. Everybody say peacekeeper. There's a difference between the two. A peacekeeper closes their eyes and shuts their ears. A peacekeeper makes excuses and says, oh, they're just like that. Just let that go. Don't let that bother you. Let's just keep the peace. And the whole goal for the peacekeeper is to keep the peace. Don't let anybody know what the, that we have trouble. The whole goal is to ignore the real issues so that we can have the appearance of peace. You know, keep your voice down. The people, the neighbors are going to know we're arguing. And, the, you know, you look at them and say, I think they figured out we were arguing when you threw all my stuff out on the lawn. You know, uh, that's the peacekeeper says, let's just pretend like it didn't happen. Let's just sweep it under the rug. Let's just keep the peace no matter what the cost. But the Bible doesn't say blessed are the peacekeepers, does it? It says blessed are the what? Peacemakers. Blessed are the people who are willing to do what it takes to repair what's been broken. He's talking about people who are willing to repair what's been broken. So when you crash a a relationship, you have to find some way to repair it. Now, there there are two keys to repairing a broken relationship, and they flow out of both of these two beatitudes. Happy are the merciful. If you're going to repair a relationship, you're going to have to learn how to forgive. That's mercy. Happy are the peacemakers. And if you're going to repair a relationship, you're going to have to learn how to work to be forgiven. We'll talk about those things. Those are the two keys to repairing broken relationships. They're to forgive and to seek forgiveness from other people. You know, a lot of times we think that the church should be exempt from that, but guess what? People get hurt in church too, don't they? People get wounded right in the very house of God. You know what? We often wound the people who are closest to us the deepest. The truth is we are most easily offended by the people around us for whom we have the highest expectations. The higher the expectation, the easier it is to wound that person or be wounded by that person. The easier it is to be offended. The higher the expectation for, we have for someone, the easier it is for them to wound us and the deeper the wound can be. And I think you'll see this is true when you just think about it logically. If some stranger on the street walks past you and says, makes some ugly rep- remark about you, you may not like it. You might get a little upset, but it's not going to wound you deeply. You're not going to lose sleep at night over that. You're not going to be tied up in knots wondering what to do about it. But if somebody that you love deeply says something like that to you, it's a whole different ball game, isn't it? Because those that we expect more from can wound us more deeply. And that's why some of the worst wounds that people experience are from their families or from fellow Christians. We expect more from them. And because we expect more from them, we're more, more vulnerable to being hurt by them. So your habits, your hang-ups, your hurts, they affect other people. Your, your habit of getting angry affects the people around you. Your, your hang-up of pushing people away when they get close to you has affected people around you. The hurt that you have inside of your heart that causes you to respond to other people the way that you, you do has hurt the people around you. Your habits, your hang-ups, your hurts, they're not only affecting you, but they're affecting the people around you. And that means you cannot compartmentalize what's happening in your heart because what's happening in your heart affects the people around you. How many of you have heard this saying? I, probably everybody has heard this saying. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Right? You know why? It's because in, go, what's, uh, what's going on inside of mama is affecting the entire crew. Everybody's affected by what's happening inside of you. So you have to determine that you're going to make choices that are going to bring life into the relationships that you may have wounded. And in order to re- repair those relationships after you crash, you have to forgive And you have to seek forgiveness. So let's talk for a few moments this morning about that. Why do you need to forgive? Well, I want to give you you three reasons why you need to forgive somebody who hurt you. First of all, and this is is the most important, this is really the only reason we need. You need to forgive because God forgave you. You need to forgive because God forgave you. How many of you understand that if it wasn't for God's grace, you wouldn't even be here today? Isn't that right? 
The forgiveness you give to others is only available to offer because you've received forgiveness from Christ himself. Let me just take a brief survey. How many of you in this room are perfect? Let me see your hand. Okay, well, we do have one hand and, uh, and the altars are open right now for repentance. Um, uh, but no, none of us are perfect. And, and she did it tongue in cheek. She was laughing when she did it. But all of us are, 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 have sinned. None of us are perfect. I, I want you to see a couple of verses. Turn to the book of Colossians, Colossians 3.13. It says this, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against each other. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That bear with each other. You know what that means? That I'll tell you what bear with each other means. That means put up with each other. Put up with each other. Uh, how many of you know that the person sitting, sitting next to you is not perfect? How many of you know that some of you are like, I'm alone on this pew. So that only person there is God and you're wrong. <laughs> you know, but uh, turn your neighbor and say, you're not perfect. Uh, sometimes you're a bear. Look, say it to him. Say, sometimes you're a bear, but I'll bear with you. Okay, you know, all right. You guys are going to have to work a little harder. You know, we got a small crowd in here. You got to help me out a little bit. But, you know, here, here's what happens. And this is so true. We, we want to be judged by our intentions. But then we judge other people by their actions. I want you to judge me by what, by what I intended to do or what I intended not to do. Uh, you know, I'm, I intended to do this. I didn't mean that. Uh, I, then, then what I do is I want to judge you by whether you actually did it or not, even if you didn't mean to do it. So, so the Bible says to bear with one another. We have to understand that we're all frail, that we all make mistakes, that we're all wounded, that we all hurt each other every now and then, and we have to bear with each other. We have to find friend, uh, these friends, uh, uh, you know, we, and when we find, you know, how many of you ever made a, you know, a new friend and you're excited about that new friendship and we say, oh, these friends are so wonderful. We, we, we just think they're so fabulous. And then, then guess what? You know what happens? You get to know them. <laughs> and so, and you're like, man, they've got, they've got faults. Who knew? You know, we don't do that just with friends. People do that with churches too. They go to a church. And they're like, oh, man, this is the greatest church I've ever seen. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Then they find out there's something wrong with it and they can't believe it. And they go find another one. And they keep going through that cycle over and over and over again. Can I just let you in on a little secret? There's no such thing as a perfect church. There isn't. And in fact, if you find one, by all means, do not start attending there because you will ruin it because you are not perfect. The Bible says to bear with one another, put up with one another. The, the, this verse also says that we are to forgive one another, one another. Look at what it says again. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive. You know, it had been, it'd been just enough. It had been okay with me if Paul had just said forgive one another. But he had to qualify it. Do you see what he says? He says what? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Oh, okay, sure. Now you made it hard, Paul. How many of you have been forgiven? Say amen. 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 If you've been forgiven by Jesus, then you need to forgive other people. Ephesians 4.31 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, among, along with every form of malice. He says, get rid of it. Get rid of it. You have anger against somebody. You have bitterness towards somebody. You have malice against somebody. You have all this stuff. If you want to repair, you have to get rid of that out of your life. It says get rid of it. But then what does it say? It says be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So why do I need to forgive other people? I need to forgive other people because I've been forgiven. It reminds me of the parable in Matthew chapter 18. Of the man who, who owed another man an, just inc- an incredible debt that, that he could never repay in his, in his entire lifetime. And, and the, the story tells how he was forgiven this incredible debt. But then he goes out and he finds somebody who owns him, owes him this, this paltry amount of, of money. And he chooses not to forgive that man's debt. And in response, this is what Jesus was teaching. This is what he said in this story. In response, the master said, you wicked servant, 
I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. In fact, when you read the story, the second man used the exact same words that the first man had used. He asked for forgiveness in exactly the same way. And, and, and then he wouldn't forgive this small debt. He says, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? There's the key. And it says, in, in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. So what he did is he reinstated the original debt of the first man, even after it had been forgiven. And then Jesus makes a very sobering statement that when we read the book of Matthew, we'd like to skip over this verse. We don't want to pay attention to it because this is what he said in verse 35. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Woo, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. That means that if I don't, if I choose not to forgive, I'm telling God something in that, in that act. You know, we've been forgiven in essence, if you want to use in terms of monetary uh, amounts, we've been forgiven billions of dollars of debt. And the least we can do is forgive those who have wounded us because Christ has forgiven us of so much more than what they have done to me. See, that's the thing. To forgive, I have to realize my sin against God is greater than any other person's sin against me. And if God can forgive me the larger debt of rebellion against my creator, then by his grace and with his spirit, with his help, I can forgive the other person who's sinned against me. And if we refuse to forgive, it shows that we don't understand how great the grace of God is and we don't understand how great our debt toward God was that was forgiven. When we choose not to forgive, it shows we don't understand grace. We think somehow my debt toward God wasn't as big as that debt. That's wrong. How many of you are getting this? Say amen. amen. So let's move to number two. Why should I forgive people? We need to forgive people because resentment is destructive in our lives and in our relationships. You know what? I have never, and maybe, maybe you've met somebody like this, but I have never met anybody in my life who said, Pastor, I am so bitter and it brings such joy to my life. <laughs> You know, I've never met anybody. I love being hateful. It's such a joy. I love being resentful. I wake up in the morning and I think to myself, who can I hate today? And how can I let bitterness grow in my heart? It just brings so much joy to me. You know, I've, I've never heard anybody say that, you know. I, I, I've never heard anybody say, I remember some, something that somebody did to me. I remember how bad they, they did me. I remember how awful they treated me. I, and I get so resentful and I get so bitter and it just makes me sing. The joy of the Lord is my strength. You ever met that person? No, I haven't either. You know why? Because you can't be bitter and joyful at the same time. You can't be bitter and joyful at the same time. Look at Proverbs 17, 24. It says, A discerning man keeps wisdom in view, but a fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. A, a discerning man keeps wisdom in view. What's the wise thing to do? What's the wise choice to make? That's what a discerning man keeps his eyes on. But, but uh, uh, and a, a discerning man keeps wisdom in view, but a fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. You know what, what so many of us do? So many of us just keep wandering back to our past over and over and over and over again. We keep wandering into what happened to us. We keep wandering into what happened to us yesterday and, and we're living living in yesterday's pain. We're living in, in the memory of how much they, that person hurt us, how much they mistreated us. And the Bible says that we're a fool when we let our eyes keep wandering all over. We have to keep wisdom in view and understand that resentment is destructive. So you ask yourself, what is the wise thing to do? It is wise to forgive. Excuse me. Is it wise to forgive or is it wise to grow old and bitter and hateful? The answer is it's wise to forgive. We've got to keep our eyes on that. Not only is resentment unwise, but resentment is unhealthy. You know, a lot of people uh, go to the doctor today and they're not really physically sick. They're, they're spiritually sick because they're bitter and they're resentful. They've got 
They've got stress piled up inside of them because of their bitterness and their resentment. They've got stress piled up inside of them because they haven't let something go that has happened to them sometime in the past. Resentment and bitterness is a poison. And listen, you cannot keep poison inside of you and expect it to have no effect on you. If you hold that resentment and bitterness inside of you, it's going to come out and it can even affect you physically because your your body, your, your spirit and your soul are so interconnected. You know, we talk about, you know, if you're trying, there's a trichotomy that we believe that man is made up of a, with a man, with a body, uh, mind, uh, body, soul and spirit. And the soul is the mind and emotions and that sort of thing. And so we think of that. But here's what we need to understand. Uh, To be a human means that you're all three together. They're all woven together. They're all tied into one another. So what's going on in your soul, in your mind, your will, in your emotions, that's going to affect what's, what's happening in your spirit. And what's happening in your spirit is going to affect what's happening in your body. I mean, what, what did David say after his sin with Bathsheba? It says, my sin was ever before me and my bones were crushed inside of me. He said, the weight of, of my sin, the weight of it, this bitterness, the weight of this resentment is weighing me down and it's not only crushing me emotionally, but it's crushing me spiritually and it's crushing me physically. Resentment doesn't work. Let, let me give you a third reason why we need to forgive. You need to forgive because you're, you're going to need forgiveness. I don't know about you, but I am 57 years old and I'm here to tell you that I am very likely going to mess up again. I'll take the very likely away. I am going to mess up again. Uh, you know, uh, I, I'm not close to dying yet, as far as I know. You know, I've always been worried about having my midlife crisis because I don't know when my middle of life is, so I'm, I may have missed it already. I'm not sure, uh, but that's just neither here nor there. But the truth is, I'm, I'm going to mess up. The truth is, you're going to mess up. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're going to mess up. <laughs> Some of you said that with conviction. It was, that's awesome. You're getting into it. You're helping me out here. But now, now listen, I'm not trying to speak evil over you today, but here's what the Bible says in first John one, eight, it says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And that was written to Christians. So unless you've reached a state of sinless perfection, you're going to sin. You're going to mess up. And some of us are going to some of us are going to mess up before we even leave the church, to, right? <laughs> Isn't that right? Some of you are home. It's like, I'm going to mess up before I even stand up from this sofa because that kid, if he doesn't straighten up, you know how it is. You know how it is. I'm going to mess up again. Here's the thing. If I need forgiveness, then I need to be granting forgiveness. I can't be asking for something that I'm not willing to give to anybody else. We have to understand this idea. Look at Mark eleven twenty five. Jesus said, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against, against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. How, how many of you want God to continue to forgive your sins? Say amen. 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 If you want God to keep forgiving you, then guess what? You need to forgive other people. If you want God to forgive you, then you need to forgive those who wound you. We, we have to forgive because we need forgiveness. What did the Lord's Prayer say? Matthew 6, 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, what most of us want to do is say, God, forgive me, and then let me do what I want with other people. Right? God, you forgive me, but let me stay bitter at somebody else. Well, Jesus didn't teach us to pray that way. He said, I will forgive you the way that you forgive other people. Let, let me ask you this question. How many of you want God to forgive you the way that you forgive other people? Mm, that's a little tougher question, isn't it? Yet that's what Scripture talks about. We should forgive others as He forgives us. God says, if you're worshiping me, and, and then during that worship time with me, you realize that you have something uh, against somebody else. He said, leave your offering there and go and make it right with your brother so that you can be forgiven. 
I mean, I, honestly, there, there should be times in a worship service when you realize that, that somebody has, has offended you, somebody, something is wrong between you and another person in the church, and that while you're worshiping, you should go to that person and say, I'll do it after church. You should go to that person while you're worshiping and say, listen, I, I need to ask you to forgive me. I need to make things right with you because then when you do that, it's going to free your worship up. So we have to forgive other people because we need forgiveness from God. So here's the big question. Here's the real question. How do I forgive people who have hurt me? Because people really struggle with this. Because sometimes people do some very evil, heinous things, don't they? And it's hard for us to deal with it. We say, okay, I know the Bible says I need to forgive. And I try. How do I do that? Well, the first thing is you have to reveal your hurt. So many times what we want to do, we want to conceal a hurt. So many times we want to push our hurt down inside of us. We don't want to pretend that it's not there. We're hurt. We're, we're wounded. We're worried. And so what do we do? You know, when we get stressed out like that, we, we stuff our faces with Reese's peanut butter cups and drink Diet Coke. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about somebody else. Um, I'm sure it's probably somebody else. We're hurt, we're wounded, we repress it, and then, then it comes out in behavior toward other people. God says that you shouldn't conceal it, but you, you should reveal it. You should confess it. You need to confess your hurt to God. You need to confess your, your wound to God. You have to admit to Him that you have been wounded. But instead, we, what we do, we like to pretend that it didn't hurt. Something that over the years, I've, I call it the Superman syndrome. And the reason I call it that is because of a memory I have from my childhood and the days before kindergarten one of my earliest memories i remember one year for my birthday my parents gave me a, a bright red shiny uh pedal powered fire engine uh car with a with a bell on the right front fender you know now everything's all electric power back then we had to actually you know supply the power with pedals and all that sort of thing. And I got that i'm telling you i loved my fire engine and i did i'll be honest i did not want anybody else to even touch my fire engine. I couldn't keep them from looking at it, but if I could, I would have stopped them from even looking at it. And, and one day, my mom used to babysit a number of kids from the neighborhood, and one of the kids that my mom babysat did the absolute unthinkable. He got in my fire engine and drove it down, up and down the sidewalk. I did not like that, not one bit. I ended up getting in a fight with that kid because he was driving my sacred fire engine, right? So my mom, you know, heard what was going on. She comes to the door and, and I thought to myself, finally, reinforcements, somebody to be on my side. Only my mom did not see things the way that I saw them in that moment. Uh, I was completely shocked when she called me into the house and then I got in trouble for defending the honor and integrity of my fire engine. You know, so she, she pulled me into bed, bedroom and, uh, it was, and she spanked me for, for starting this fight. Now, what I need you to know is that during that time in my life, I'm still a big Superman fan, but I was a massive Superman fan. He was it to me. I mean, I would, I would run around the house. I would get a a bath towel and tie it around my neck and run around to try to make the, the towel fl flap behind me as if I could run that fast, you know, to pretend like I was flying. I was Superman. That's what I was doing. And, and in that moment after that incident, when my mom spanked me for fighting, I made, I made a horrible, horrible tactical decision. And that was that I turned around and as my mom was leaving the room and, I, and through my sobs with tears streaming down my face, I yelled at her at the top of my lungs. I said, that didn't hurt me. I'm Superman. <laughs> Some of you understand it did not go well. <laughs> did not go well. It was actually at that moment that I discovered that my, own, my mom owned a kryptonite belt. <laughs> And she, she used it on me a second time. But, but that's the way we're like. We're like, that didn't hurt me. I'm Superman. We're like that. We, we try to bury the pain and pretend that it didn't hurt us. 
pretend that, that we don't need anybody else. We pretend that we're stronger than we really are when we, what we need to do is we need to confess that pain to God. Uh, I've had people come to me and talk about past hurts that they've ex- experienced and they sit there and, and they list everything that person has done to them and in the past and they say, I've, now I've forgiven them for it. But at the same time, they're ready to list off every offense over and over and over and over and over again. The question is this, in that moment, have you really forgiven or have you just said that you've forgiven them? If you're, if you're keeping a precise record of wrongs, you probably have not forgiven that person yet. Have you, have you really revealed your hurt? Sometimes we pretend that we've not been hurt by people. But if you're ever going to forgive somebody, if you're ever going to find healing, you can't conceal the hurt. You have to reveal your hurt. You have to admit that you've been wounded. You have to admit that they made it through your armor. That You have to admit that you're not as tough as you think you are. And that sometimes things that people say and do pierce your heart and they wound your spirit. Instead of trying to conceal it, you have to reveal it. After you admit the hurt, then what do you do? This is a tough one. You have to release the person that has offended you from any perceived debt you think they owe. In essence, that is the essence of forgiveness. Forgiveness is really an accounting term. That's what it really is. Because when the bank forgives your debt, what are they doing? They're saying, you don't owe us anything anymore. And when we forgive, we're telling the person that has wounded us, you don't have to do anything to make up for it. You don't owe me anything. And that is hard. That's hard. You have to release the offender before you, before, even before they ever ask. Why? Because not everybody's going to ask you. Not everybody's going to ask you. And if you wait for them to ask before you release them, you're just going to remain under the bondage of your own unforgiveness. You know, some people, you may, even need, you may even need to, this sounds weird, but you may even need to release somebody that's not even alive anymore. Some of you need, may need to release somebody that, that you'll never have a chance to talk to you but you, again, but you have to release the offender. Now, now, when do you do that? When do you need to release the offender? You, you need to release the offender from their debt to you immediately. Don't wait another day. Don't let the poison of bitterness grow in your heart any longer. You need to release them right now. And, and you say, well, how often do I have to release them? Well, you know, Peter uh, asked a similar question he, to Jesus. He said, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother who, who, who sins against me? And he thought he was going to be really good because the teachers of the day were saying, that after you forgive three times, you don't have to forgive anymore. And so Peter, he doubles that and adds one. And he says, he says, how often should I forgive? Seven times? I just imagine Peter waiting, you know, for Jesus to say, Peter, I'm so impressed. You seven times, you're finally getting it, Peter. I'm, I just imagine Peter is kind of waiting for that. But, but then Jesus looks at him and what does he say? He said, no, Peter, 70 times seven. <laughs> Can you imagine Peter? At that moment, he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus says, release them as many times as they hurt you. He's not saying count up to 490 and, you know, 491. Oh, you're done. I'm not forgiving you anymore. That's not what he's saying. He's making a point of saying, Peter, it's not about keeping track. He's saying, release them as many times as they hurt you. Well, that's just not fair. Well, let me ask you this. How often do you want God to forgive you? Because I'm way past seven. Anybody get an amen? You know, listen, you have to release them as often as they hurt you, as often as they wound you. You have to keep on releasing them. Because what happens is you think you're holding them in some kind of prison of unforgiveness. But you know what they're doing? They're out there living their life. They're doing their own thing. And your unforgiveness is not affecting them at all. The truth is, if you don't forgive those who hurt you, you're the one that's in prison. You've built a a prison, a cage of unforgiveness around yourself. That other person, they're not bound up in chains of bitterness and resentment. They're moving on. They're not even thinking about you. But you're thinking about how they wounded you and how they, and, and now they've just gone on with their life. You have to release them. And you release them not, not just for their sake, but you release them for your sake. You say, well, how will I know that I've released them? 
Well, you'll know that you release someone, that you've truly forgiven them when you can think about them and not have that pain and emotion flare up all over again. Which means for some of us, it's going to take some time. If you still, still feel that pain, if the emotions come back, if that anger rushes in every time you think about it and you still feel that wound, you, you need to release them again. Every time it comes back. See, that's the thing. We think of forgiveness as when, when we say one time, oh, I forgive them. But, but that's not what it is. It's that, it's, it's that process that every time it comes back and when you feel those emotions rising up again, you go to the Lord and say, no, God, I release them from that debt. I, have cho- I choose to forgive them because you've forgiven me and you keep releasing them until it's gone you keep letting it go until you're not holding it any longer here's what i know you have to get it out of your spirit because the bible says that bitterness is a root that will grow up and defile many your bitterness won't just affect you your bitterness will affect every single person around you so so then what do you do you you reveal your hurt you release the offender and then here's the beauty You replace the hurt with God's peace. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You have to say, God, I've revealed my hurt. I've released the offender. But now there's an emptiness there. I need the peace of God that passes all human understanding to come in and to guard my heart and my mind. And you have to trust God to put peace in where hurt used to abide. You have to trust God to put peace in where turmoil once reigned. You have to trust God to put peace in where that wound used to be. All right, so so you have to forgive people when they hurt you. But there's another thing we need to look at briefly today. Because sometimes you're the one who's been hurt and you need to repair that relationship by forgiving and releasing the offender, right? But sometimes you're the one who has hurt somebody. Anybody ever hear, here ever hurt anybody? Some of you are like, you know, I'm, I'm going to admit it. <laughs> but if you're the one that has hurt somebody, then you need to repair that relationship by seeking forgiveness and making amends. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. It's similar to a verse that we read earlier, but there's a little difference this time. It says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there, remember that your brother has something against you. It's interesting here, this time he doesn't say, if you remember that you have something against your brother, but he says, if you remember that your brother has something against you. He says, if you're at the altar and remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. You're there, you're, you're, you're in God's presence, you realize that somebody has something against you, you have offended them in some way, and the Bible says it's incumbent upon you to go and do whatever you can to make it right do whatever you can to make it right the bible says in romans 12 if it is possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone we have a responsibility to try to make sure that if someone has something against us that we have done our part to make sure that our heart is right and that we have done everything we can do to repair that relationship. Not just to sit back and say, say well, you know, you know, it's up to them to forgive me, but to go and make it right. The question is not only how can I seek forgiveness, but, but it's also how can I make amends for what I've done? Because sometimes we, we, we want to seek forgiveness in, in shallow, shallow ways, don't we? You know, how many of you have kids and you've had that moment where your kids were fighting with each other and you, you've looked at your kids and you'd say, okay, now apologize to each other. You know, sorry. You know, there's, there's, no, there's no sincerity in that apology, is there? Anybody here remember, old enough to remember Happy Days? There was an episode when Fonzie could not get the words, I'm sorry out. You know, we're, we're like that. I need to tell you something. Apologizing and seeking forgiveness is more than just saying you're sorry. Some of us need to learn how to seek forgiveness. And an apology begins with confession by admitting that you've hurt them, by admitting that you were wrong. And by the way, this does not mean it's not the same thing as going to somebody and saying, I'm sorry that you were offended. 
You know, that's all you've done is pour gasoline on the fire right then. But just by going them and saying, I was wrong, I wounded you. Doesn't matter if they misunderstood you or not. The point is, you know that you wounded them. And so you confess that, and, and that's the first step. But the, the second thing is that it's offered in repentance. And it's saying, I never want to wound you this way again. I feel so badly for what has happened, for what I've done and how I've wounded you, that I want you to know, I'm, not only am I sorry that I did it, but I, I never want to do this again. That's repentance, because repentance means a change of mind. And it says, I don't want to keep doing this. Third is it expresses contrition. It says, I know I've hurt you. I don't want to hurt you this way again. And I am sorry. I'm truly sorry. That's contrition. And then the part we leave off a lot of times, it asks a question. And the question is, you say, will you forgive me? If you hurt somebody, you know, if I do that, I make sure I get to the point where I say, will you forgive me? Because if you just say, I'm sorry, and then they don't actually forgive you. There's still an open wound. So you, what you're saying is, let's just close this thing all the way up. I, I know I hurt you. I, I don't want to hurt you again. I'm very sorry for what I've done. Will you forgive me? And, and that is seeking forgiveness. It's not just saying, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry about that. You know, sorry you're so tender-hearted. You know, you know, putting it on them. Sorry I ruined your life. No, you, you, we admit that we're wrong. We say that we don't want to do it again. We express our sorrow. And then we ask for forgiveness. But even after asking forgiveness, here's the thing we forget. We need to try to make amends for what we did. You say, why do, why do I need to make amends? If they've forgiven me, I don't owe them anything. They said I don't owe them a debt. No, no, no. This is the process of rebuilding trust. You remember the story of Zacchaeus? You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Every church kid is going through it. We, we little man was he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see, you know. And as a savior, no, I won't go on through the whole song, but Zacchaeus was a Jewish tax collector for the Roman Empire. Now, we, we don't fully understand that. And all of us have heard that he, that means that he was a cheat, which he was. But it was more than that. It was deeper than that. It meant that he was a traitor to his nation. It, it was a, he was a traitor. I'm not going to go into detail, but... You have a Roman force that's occupying the nation. How do, you, how do you support and feed and equip an army that's occupying a nation? Through taxes. So a Jewish person collecting taxes, what you're doing is I'm taking the money from my people to be able to support the army that is oppressing us. So he's a traitor and he was a cheat and he made a fortune off of his own people and the the roman empire looked the other way when tax collectors gathered extra taxes to line their own pockets they did not care as long as they got their money so zacchaeus has gotten wealthy by betraying his nation by putting himself before everybody else and by cheating his fellow countrymen and zacchaeus on the day that jesus came by he receives forgiveness from god But that's not all he does, is it? Not only does he get forgiveness uh, from God, but he gives back all the money to the people he had defrauded. He made amends. He made it right. And by doing so, he began to earn the trust of the people again. See, it's one thing to say, I'm sorry, but it's another thing to make amends for what you've done wrong, for how you've wounded the relationship. So how do you make amends when you've wounded somebody else? First, Make a list of everybody that you've harmed. So you say, okay, I have this habit of losing my temper. So, well, who has my temper affected? You you need to make a list. It's one thing to say, God, forgive me for my temper, but it's a whole different thing to say, God, show me who my temper has affected. Show show me who I have wounded through this this temper that I I have no control over. Show me the relationships that I've damaged. So you make a list of the people you've harmed. And then what do you do? You think to yourself, how would you want someone else to make amends to you? If, if You say, if I was walking in the other person's shoes, how would I want them to treat me? And I heard a pastor tell a story of a time he, he led his church down to Brownsville, Florida, you know, for the big revival that was going on down there. And, and they, they, they took a big busload of people. And it was a long 20-hour bus ride and and. and uh, on the way home on this long 20-hour bus ride, they, 
they, they were just trying to take up the time, so they decided to have a testimony time. I can tell you right now, it's a dangerous thing to let people talk unscripted and unplanned because you just never know what people are going to say. And, you know, and so some people, they shared testimonies about what God had done. Some people told about uh, breakthroughs in, in areas of their lives. Some people shared how God had healed them. It was, it was really wonderful. And people were clapping and rejoicing and cheering and having a wonderful time on this bus. And one man stood up to testify and the pastor said, what's your testimony? And he said, my testimony is that God really healed me. And the pastor said, well, praise the Lord. And they said, yeah, God has really healed me because I had so much anger and I had so much bitterness in my heart. And the pastor said, oh, that's just so wonderful. And he said, yes, I was so angry and I was so bitter because I hate you, pastor. <laughs> and he's like, whoa, step back here. You, didn't know, you never know what you're going to get on those. He said, I thought you were so mean to me and, so, and you mistreated me and you weren't nice to me at all. And he went through all this stuff that, uh, about his life and how he had hated the pastor for so long. But now he just wanted to forgive him uh, for all the horrible things he'd done in his life. And, he, and the pastor was like, well, thank you very much. You know, why don't you just go back to that other church you went to? But, uh, but, but really, listen, what the guy was doing, he was really trying to make amends. He was... He, he was telling, he, he was feeling Jesus telling him that he needed to confess this. Now, now, how many of you know that, that doing it private, privately might have been a little bit better way to go, right? You know, a lot better than on a crowded bus during a 20-hour bus ride. I imagine the testimony service really got tampered down a little bit after that. Somebody's like, I ain't getting up after that. <laughs> no way. You know, but, but how many understand timing matters, Right. So when you're talking about making amends, when you're talking about going and asking for forgiveness, timing, place, location, who's, who's there? You know, so you're sitting around the diner, dinner table and your kids are all there and, and you say, honey, I just want to tell you I'm so sorry for beating you all those years. You know, oh, Junior, close his ear. You know, you just got you to gotta be careful uh, when you do it and how you do it. Uh, uh, your timing is important. Your attitude is important. Why are you wanting to do this? Because sometimes we do it because we want to subtly hurt them anymore, we, even more. We want to we dig that knife in a little more. We want to make sure they know how badly they've hurt us. And so your attitude is important. Sometimes, sometimes the attitude is that we're, we're only doing it because we're hoping to get an apology in return. You know, have you ever known somebody like that? They're like, they go to somebody and say, I just want you to know I'm so sorry for what I did to you. I know it really hurt. And you look at them and say, well, listen, it did hurt, but I forgive you. Then there's a pause and they say, is there anything you want to say? <laughs> Sometimes that, you know, so the way we do it, humility, privacy, all these things. But, but, you know, listen, maybe the most important thing of all is to approach the person you've hurt without expectations. If you go to try to seek forgiveness from somebody and you, you go to try to make amends to somebody and you go to try to make things right with somebody, guess what? They may not be interested in you yet. You may have hurt them so deeply that they're not ready to return that forgiveness to you. Or maybe they've been hurt so deeply in the past that your wound wasn't that bad, but because of the deep hurt that they've had in the past, it's hard for them to deal with it and they're just not ready. So, so you go to the, them and seek forgiveness without expectation. You don't know how they're going to respond. You, you, you can't control how they respond. You can only control what you do. So you do it to make a healing choice for your life, but you can't make a healing choice for their life. So, so you don't go expecting now, you know, all of a sudden, well, I'm going to ask for forgiveness, and now we're going to be buddy-buddy from now on, right? Listen, you know, I may forgive you, but that doesn't mean that we'll, we'll immediately go back to the same place of relationship as before. You know, Dr. Mark Rutland told of a time when a staff member of his, when he was pastoring a church, committed a serious, serious breach of ethics. And this staff member was very, very sorry for it. Very contrite. And they, they sat in the office with Dr. Rutland and cried and, 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 and asked for forgiveness. And Dr. Rutland says, well, son, I, I forgive you. I forgive you. And, and as they were so grateful. And then Dr. Rutland, after that, told him, said, well, son, I do forgive you. I forgive you. He said, but uh, you need to go pack up your office. He said, wait, I thought you said I was forgiven. And he said, well, son, I, I do forgive you, but, but you're still fired. <laughs> you, everything is clear between you and me. But you can't work here anymore. You've broken the trust. I can forgive you. That doesn't mean that, we're, that you're at the same place of trust that you were in before you crashed the relationship. And we have to remember trust 
Forgiveness is given, but trust is earned. I forgive you for what you did, but that doesn't mean I'm going to let you right back in right away just to have you do it all over again. Forgiveness is instant, but trust has to be rebuilt over time. So, so make a list of those you've harmed. Think about how you want them to, to treat you, how you would want them to treat you, and then refocus your life. Refocus your life. You have to move forward. You have to let it go. You have to come to that moment where you, you realize, where you say, yesterday ended last night. When, when you say, God's not finished with my life yet. When you say, I will not spend the rest of my life defined by what I did or by what somebody else did to me. When, when you come to that moment when you say, I understand that God is a forgiving God and I'm going to move forward in my life. I'm not going to live in the past. Whether I sinned or someone sinned against me. The book of Job says this. Yet if you devote your heart to him and stretch out your hands to him. If you put away the sin that is in your heart and allow no evil to dwell in your tent. Then you will lift up your face without shame. You will stand firm and without fear. You will surely forget your trouble. Recalling it only as water has gone by. He says, if you stretch your heart toward God, if you seek forgiveness, and if you grant forgiveness, then the things that, 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 that have happened to you or the things that you have done to people, you will come to the place where you will say, where you will surely forget your troubles, recalling it only as water has gone by. It's water under the bridge. It's gone. It's past. Some of us are afraid that we're going to keep living in our past for the rest of our lives. But the Bible says in the Song of Solomon, See, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. Here's the good news for every one of us. You don't have to live in that hurt the rest of your life. You don't have to live in that hurt the rest of your life. God is a forgiving God. You can forgive others and you can be forgiven. That trouble of your, in your past does not have to define you for the rest of your life. How many of you are glad for that? Say amen. 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 Sometimes we're going to wreck our relationships. Sometimes we're going to crash and burn. And we have to understand how to rep- repair those broken relationships. We, we repair those relationships when we forgive. We repair those broken relationships when we seek forgiveness. We repair those broken relationships when we make amends. How many of you are ready to repair some relationships? Amen. Amen. Like every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're at home, I want you to, to join us in this time. Because I, I want to ask you just a couple of simple questions. The first question is this. How many of you need to forgive somebody for something? There, there, there's some kind of hurt that has control of your life. There's some kind of bitterness that has control of your life. And, and you, you say, I need to forgive somebody, somebody who's wounded you, and you have not released them. You say, I need to release that person that, that hurts, that's hurt me. If that's you, I want you to slip your hand up. we got several hands right here in this room. If you're at home, you, you put your hand up as well. Not for me to see, but for God to see. Now, lift your hand up to him. I, w- I want to pray for you. Father... I pray, Lord God, in the name of Jesus for these men and women whose hands were raised all over this room. And and Lord God, for people who are responding to your word in their homes or or, or watching on their phone or wherever they might be, but you're still talking with them. They have hurts and they have wounds. Some of them, maybe the wounds are shallow, but for some of them, the wounds cut very deep, very deep into the heart. Lord, I pray that today you would give them your grace. I pray that you would give them strength. I pray that you would give them your peace. I pray, God, that they would understand that, that, that happy are the merciful. Happy are those who forgive. And Lord, I pray that you would help them right now to release that offender. Even as you've forgiven us, God, we, we, we forgive those who hurt us today. And I pray, Lord, that in this moment, that every one of them would just simply pray that prayer and say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I forgive. And they would fill in that blank. They say, I release them from that debt. They owe me nothing because Jesus has already paid their debt. If that's you this morning, I want you to pray that prayer just in your own way, just silently just say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I forgive whoever. Fill in the blank. Say, Father, I release them from their debt. Now heal my heart. Fill me with your peace. 
Maybe there's some of you this morning, you'd say, Pastor, I know that I've hurt somebody. I know that I've wounded somebody and I need to seek forgiveness. I need to make amends. And if that's you, and you say, Pastor, pray for me, I want you to slip your hand up right where you are so I can pray for you. Yes. At home, same thing. I want to pray for you. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for these people. God, I pray you'd give us courage because it's not an easy thing to go to somebody and say, look, I know I was wrong. I know I wounded you. Please forgive me. That's, that makes, puts us in a very vulnerable place. So God, give them courage. I pray that you'd give them strength. Pray, Lord, that you would show them how to make amends, how to rebuild trust. And Lord, I pray that you would help them to make Help all of us make a choice that sets our hearts free. And the Lord, give us the wisdom. And and particularly these, Lord, give them the wisdom to know how to approach the person they've wounded. And give them grace to move forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.